Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We are kind of going to have a focus today um, on our national heritage and, uh, and our country. Um, if you've been hanging out at, at the river for uh, the last month especially, you know that we have focused our attention on grace. Now, for those of you who are a part of River Kids, we want to thank you ha- for having shared with us in worship. They're gathering in the back, the lovely lady who's displaying the wonderful River Kids sign, Miss um, Michelle. If you want to go to River Kids with her, feel free to do that. Um, but we are grateful because here's something I want you guys to know before you leave. Your parents sing better when you're here. They just do. You, you do something to encourage them to worship God. And I am grateful for that. And I know our worship team is. So everybody say thank you to our friends in the back. Thank you, River Kids. You're awesome. We love you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. You know, uh, we, we concluded last week's uh, message, ended our, our series on grace. Now, please don't hear me say that it ended grace, because it's, we're not going to end grace. There's not going to, there's, God's grace is unfathomable, it's, it's limitless. Um, and, and we need to realize that. And, but we, we're not going to continue in that series. But at the same time, as I was preparing for today's message, uh, God just kind of pressed a verse in front of me that made me think about uh, our nation. And so I, I kind of want to get started out of that as we, as we think about celebrating our, our National Day of Independence, the birth of our nation. I want us to do it together in the context of something that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1, Paul wrote these words to the church. He says, don't receive God's grace in vain. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Don't receive God's... I, I don't know how, how, how this is going to go today, but we'll, we'll find out. Um, did y'all give them red Kool-Aid or something like that? I mean, is that what's going on? Amen. Yeah, amen. I feel like I'm going to have to declare my day of independence now. The, uh, yeah, I love you, babe. <laughs> Here's the deal. When we think about that passage in 2 Corinthians 6... When God tells us to not, not treat his grace, not not to handle it in a way in such that that we treat it as vain, I think what he's saying is don't waste it. Do not waste the grace of God. Don't don't hoard it. Don't forget how powerful and and life-changing it could be. Don't just keep it for yourself, but instead employ it into your life everywhere. And, and not just employ it, but deploy it. Deploy it into every sphere of your life, into your parenting, into your workplace, into your marriage, into your friendship, and into your citizenship as a citizen of this, this great country that God has given us. Now the psalmist reminds us, we saw it a minute ago in the video, Psalm 33 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's capital L-O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the Lord God Almighty. Blessed is the nation whose their God is that God. 
the, the Lord God Almighty. Now, I wholeheartedly believe that for the Lord, for, for the one true King of Kings and, and, and Lord of Lords to continue to bless our nation, that's going to come in a proportion to how well the church lives out this passage in 2 Corinthians 6. How well we live out not living with God's grace in vain. That there's a direct correlation here. How well we don't waste the grace that God has given us. We sing as Americans. God shed his grace on thee. We believe that. That God has literally poured out. He, has, he shed his just marvelous grace uh, on our nation. And I am grateful to, to be here today getting to think about how to celebrate that. That God has shared, shed his grace on this great nation. But as we move forward, the church today has to wrestle through this. Now, I know this. That in our current culture, <clears throat> in, in many evangelical circles, that when someone in a service or in a message begins to focus uh, on our nation's history or reflect on God's blessings that those kinds of services are becoming less frequent. They, they just are. Uh, there, there used to be more celebration and we don't do this every 4th of July weekend here. We don't stop and, and, and pause and, and think about the blessings that God has poured out on our nation but we're going to do that today. And so if you're visiting with us for the very first time, this, this, this Sunday's going to be a little bit different because we want to set out to honor God for the, the central, all-important role that he has played in the, in the blessings that this nation has. The other thing that I, I, I need us to be mindful of, or, and I believe this, I think that if we're not careful, we will take for granted the sacrifice and the service that so many have rendered to protect the freedoms that we have right in this moment. The freedom we have to gather for worship. The freedom we have to give thanks to God. Because so many have, have, have served and suffered and sacrificed to do that. And so I want to take just a minute um, to recognize those who have who currently are and have ever served in our, in our armed forces. So if you're here today and you are currently active duty or active duty National Guard, I'm going to ask you to stand up if you would please. Thank you. Now, you guys stay standing if you would. I'm going to ask you if you have ever served in the armed forces, you're retired, you've ever served at all in, in any of our, our military branches, I'm going to ask you to stand now. Just stand. Yeah. Keep, keep standing. Don't go nowhere yet. We want you to know that we thank God for you. And we believe that God inspired your service. And we're grateful for it. And I just want to take a moment and pray for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we give thanks in this moment for those in this room, men and women who are standing, uh, men and women who have sacrificed and served so that we might maintain our freedom. And we thank you, God, for those that they represent who are stationed all over the world right now. And their families, God, 
who sacrificed as well so much so that we can continue to enjoy and live in the freedoms that we have. And so God, we are grateful to you, first of all, for inspiring, for moving on their hearts to live out that kind of dedication of service and sacrifice to this nation. We thank you first of all, but God, we give thanks for them. And we ask you to bless them. Those that are here in this room and those that are spread throughout the globe, God, we just ask your hand of blessing, your hand of protection, your hand of love over their lives. And I pray right now, God, that they would experience your presence in a powerfully unique way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, sometimes, you know, I said that in our culture today, there are those who kind of get their feathers a little ruffled when we kind of press into something like this in church. And that causes tension sometimes, and sometimes people, you know, take pot shots at those. I want to say, if that's you, um, I don't think your motives are impure. I don't think they're unholy. I, I don't think anything like that. I get it. I get that there's this, this tension that exists. I, I know I, I've had some tell me, you know, they don't, they don't want those who have, were not born here, but those who have become naturalized citizens to feel like we think that they're second class. And, and we don't. We don't. Those who have, you know, immigrated here, we don't think of them as second class citizens. And we're not going to set out in any way to make them ever feel that way. I know that some who, when services get kind of patriotic, think that those patriotic services give some type of impression that Americans believe, you know, that, that God loves us most and best. You know, I don't remember the name of that movie, but that guy kept running around saying the whole time, God bless America and nobody else. I don't, I don't, know, what it, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but um, that guy said it all throughout the movie. We don't believe that. We don't believe that because America was disqualified last year from participating in the World Cup that God didn't watch. We don't believe that when the Olympics are going on that God's sitting in heaven eating a bowl of popcorn with a, you know, a red, white, and blue shirt on saying, go USA. We don't believe that. That's not our image of who God is. But we do believe that God has chosen, sovereignly chosen, to bless this nation so that we would be a blessing to the world. And we need, to, we need to stop and reflect on that. You know, we could agree or disagree on some of these things, on some of these values. I, I, I know that. But I want us today to think about how do we avoid taking the grace that God has shed on America, how do we avoid treating that in vain? See, we truly believe that God shed his blood for every tribe and tongue and nation, not just America. We believe that with our whole hearts. And we'll be for some of the first people to acknowledge that Jesus went to Calvary before, you know, people on this planet knew about America. You know, 14, 15 centuries before that, before the founding of this country. So we're not... A disproportion in our understanding of that. We're not going to set out to glorify soldiers or glorify the flag or those kinds of things. But we do need to think about how God brought this nation about. And we need to think about how do we continue to live out those biblically based principles that those Jesus loving people 
founded our nation upon so that we maintain those freedoms that God has given us. And the Bible has a great deal to say about that. And so I want us to think about some of that today. And as long as we do this, as long as we continue to worship our creator and not our country, as long as we realize that the ultimate freedom that we have never comes from Capitol Hill, but from a hill called Mount Calvary, as long as we realize where our freedom really comes from, we'll be okay. So it's okay for us to reflect and press into these things. Uh, Russell Moore has said it best when he said this. He said, Christians can never, can never let the flag become more important to us than the cross. Paul addressed this issue with the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. He said this, but our citizenship is in heaven. I love that. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. We have dual citizenships but our primary citizenship if you're a Christ follower your primary citizenship is not here it's in heaven. And we need to as we live out the grace of God in these United States of America we need to realize that and live that out. Now, again, if you're visiting with us for the first time, this may sound strange to you. Um, I'm not going to apologize. I just want you to understand that from a biblical perspective, we believe that God has blessed our country and we, we give thanks for that. But we also, we've got to come together as Christ followers united in prayer for our nation. Because these are unsettling times still. We still live in very unsettling times and, and, you know, where we're going in the days ahead, we will continue to need the wisdom and the discernment of God. You know, there, there have been a lot of firsts in my life in the last four or five years. One of the things that I don't remember in my life, I don't ever remember a time when two years after a national election, we're still playing tapes on what would have been like had it gone the other way. I'm thinking, okay, you know, let's, let's pause and get on. I heard a, a guy give a riddle the other day. He said this. He said, if Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump had both been stranded on a desert island two years ago, who would survive? And the answer was America. <laughs> I, I, you know... There's humor attached to that, but there's also some pain that should be, that that is funny. You know, that, that, that should create a pain for us. I, I, I do not recall a time in my life when there have been more excuses and explanations offered by both political parties in our country for actions and statements that have been made by the leaders in those parties. I don't remember a time when there's been more excuses and th than, than there have been given on both sides of the aisle for what, what's being said, what's being done. Back in 2016 when the election was going on, I read an obituary. Now, I know some of you are saying, Joe, I know you're getting old because you're reading more obituaries. I was always told that would happen one day. 
Um, I've actually started collecting some of them. Um, but I, I read one back during the election. Uh, this, was, this was written by the lady who was, um, she was a lady in Virginia. Uh, she had been battling cancer. She knew she was getting near the end of her days. She wrote her own obituary. And this was from May of 2016. And it says this, her name's Marianne Nolan. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Marianne Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God. Again, there's humor there, but it says something about the state of our nation. It says, it tells us something. It tells us about the controversy. And we know this. We feel it. It feels like there is a, a hole that is burning in the heart of our nation because of the division. Because of so much sorrow that's going on. Because of the anger that seems to be, be kind of the fuel that our nation is running on these days. And, and God's people, we've got to cry out to God. Now, now here's the deal. Though we're wringing our hands sometimes about this, God isn't. God is not up in heaven saying, oh my, what is going to become of that nation? He, he's, not, he's not doing that. He's, he's watching from a totally different vantage point. It's not that he doesn't care. But the truth is this. God is going to use every situation and circumstance to point people back to him. God is going to use every situation and circumstance to raise up people who will give him glory. God, God is going to do that even in the midst of a mess. I've also heard another statement about our country that I, I also believe. People will disagree with me on this one, and that's okay. I, the statement was this, and I don't remember where I first heard it, but it's this. It says that America, on her worst day, is still better than most other nations on their best days. Now, if there's any truth to that, it's only by the grace of God. It's not because of you or me. It's not because of our economy, our economic engine. It's not because of our political system or our, our constitution. It's only by the grace of God. And we have to cling to that reality. We've got to. Kathy and I were shopping at Lowe's yesterday. And uh, while we were there, we were needing some assistance in loading uh, the thing that we had purchased. And some of you will remember Paul, I, I think I'm going to get his name mixed up, but it's, it's Gombor. He was a basketball player at CSU, Paul Gombor. He sat over there a lot of times with the Hetzes. Really huge, tall guy. People loved it when I would walk up next to him and come to his hip, you know. They thought that was, and he'd pat me on my head. The, um, he, he's a great guy. And uh, we, we ran into Paul yesterday. He's working there at Lowe's. And uh, he helped us load uh, our, our purchase onto our vehicle. And, and, and he stopped and shared a little bit. Paul is from Africa originally. And um, Paul is going back. Pray for Paul. He, his, his dad just passed away a couple weeks ago. And he's going back home in a couple weeks. Um, but he's, while he's there, uh, Paul has started a foundation here in the United States to help uh, orphans and, and other struggling young people back in his nation. And he's going back and he's going to be putting on events. And he's going to put on an event for, for youth, for students, in an area of the world where uh, over the past month, over 200 Christians have been killed in fighting over grazing lands. 
by Muslim herders. Some of you have probably read about it. Just kind of a, a mass massacre. Um, Paul's going back in. He's taking the gospel with him into that kind of thing. And, you know, Paul will tell you, I love my homeland, but when I'm here in America, I don't, I don't lose sleep that that's going to happen to my family when I go to work. It's, it's a different way of living. And many who have come to this country will tell you they're able to feel more relaxed. They don't feel the, the same kinds of concerns and pressures as they do even in their home, home country. Now, I've not traveled as extensively as many of you have, you know, overseas. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm aware keenly. You know, I don't know if you've ever been on a plane when a group of people have been overseas together and are coming back and the plane touches down in the United States and it wasn't because it was a bad flight but they just break out in applause. You know why? They're glad to be home because God has shed his grace here and people want to live in the grace of God. Now, again, to do that in our country is... As, as wonderful as it is, when we say that with one breath, with the very next breath, we've also got to acknowledge that we're currently in a pretty precarious position. Our nation just, just is. And it is important for Christ's followers to be people who go back to those principles, those guidelines that are rooted in God's Word, in the Old Testament and the New Testament teachings that our country was founded on, and that we be faithful to those things that our founders founded this nation on. That we be faithful to those. Now, that may lead to some things. It may lead in our culture to you being ostracized as a believer. It probably will. If you stand on the teachings of this book. You're going to be ostracized. You're, you may even be persecuted. But I believe this with my whole heart. America needs you now more than ever. And you need to remember this, that Jesus Christ was quite clear when you set out to follow him that if you were doing it for popularity, you shouldn't. Jesus never called anybody, come follow me so you can be popular. Jesus warned us in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, here's what the blessedness of following me will look like. Is this, people will insult you. People will persecute you. They will lie and say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. But then he said, if and when that happens, you should praise the Lord. You should rejoice. You should give thanks because your reward in heaven is going to be great. It's going to be great there. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now folks, when Jesus made that statement, when Jesus talked about the cross, it wasn't in a day when the cross was a shiny thing on the end of a chain. It wasn't in a day when, you know, it was a, an emblem that sat on top of a spire of a building. The cross in that day meant death. That's all it meant. It simply meant death in Jesus' day. And so when, when Jesus calls us to take up our cross, you know, we, we need to anticipate that in a secular society, if you're going to embrace the teachings of Jesus, if you're going to live out Christian conviction, you're going to get ridiculed. 
You're, you're going to be reviled. You're going to be ostracized. You're, you may have to die for your faith. And some of you are saying, Joe, where's the good news? Well, according to Jesus, the good news is that we would, might have that privilege one day. See, when you said that you wanted to follow Jesus, many of you used this phrase. I have trusted Jesus with my life and he is my savior and my what? Lord. When, when, the, when you said that Jesus is your Lord, what you were saying is, I've already decided to die. I've decided to die to my selfish pursuits. I've decided to die to myself and what I want most and to live for Jesus. Many first century Christians knew what that meant well. Many 21st century Christians living in other countries who are being martyred for their faith, they know what that means very well. Because many in our lifetime have been martyred for their faith. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this. He, he said, I've told you these things. That in me you may have peace. I'm, I'm telling you this, Jesus says, so that you can have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. So important. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. So as, as Jesus followers, here's part of what we've going to have to do in this country. We're going to have to suck it up. We're going to have to toughen up emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, so that we can see what's really going on around us. So that we're not pushed around by the banter. We're not swayed by all the growling. Because if we, if we give in to that, we're going to become easy prey one day. We're going to become easy prey to the loudest and most pervasive, persuasive voices. Some of you will remember from your history that there was this movement in Germany called Nazism. When Adolf Hitler began to slowly take over the minds of, of Germans. It didn't happen overnight. If you know anything about your history, it happened over. It was a low, slow kind of fade. And he did it by eventually deceiving people to, into thinking that allegiance to God was first and foremost demonstrated with allegiance to your country and to your national leaders. Even when they don't lead correctly. And pastors at first stood up against it, but slowly uh, Hitler eroded all of that kind of push back until there were really probably only two pastors in the whole nation who refused to give in. Some of you may be familiar with the writings of a, a pastor and, and theologian named Erwin Lutzer. He wrote a book entitled, When a Nation Forgets God. And in that book, he gave some, uh, had some eyewitnesses that he interviewed. And this is one of the eyewitnesses' accounts of what it was like for them to be a Christian in Nazi-occupied Germany. This eyewitness said this to, to Lutzer. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? He goes on to say, a railroad track ran out behind our small church. And each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. Eventually we became disturbed 
when we heard the cries coming from the trains as it passed by, we realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of that whistle because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camps. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard screams, we would sing even louder until we heard them no more. Years have passed, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. Now, I'm not saying that there's a Nazi plot in America today. But what I am saying is, it is easy to get swept up in the, the ruckus. It's easy to get swept up in all of the banter. And be pulled away from what God has called his people to be. Now, I'll be the first to say that in recent months I have been more hopeful and excited about our nation turning based upon some decisions that have been made in the Supreme Court. And all of you know, most likely, that one of the justices, Kennedy, has retired and there is about to be an all-out war waged over the appointment of the next Supreme Court Justice. How many of you remember Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson used to say over and over and over again, your salvation does not come to you on Air Force One. It doesn't. And if he were here today, he would remind us that our salvation is not going to show up in a black robe either. Our salvation is coming from the Lord. And in his sovereignty, he's going to move the playing field to accomplish his good pleasure here. And what he's calling us to be is faithful. Faithful, whether it's going good our way or not so good and not our way. So here's what, here's what happens. It becomes really easy in, in seasons like this in our nation's history to blame the media, to blame the politicians, to just blame everybody. But I want to say truthfully, much of the blame lies at the feet of the church of Jesus in this nation. Much of that blame does because we have forsaken our first love in so many ways. We have pulled back from following Christ passionately. We, we have allowed the culture to transform the church more than the church has transformed the culture. The, the culture has, has kind of snuck in. And churches are going, living by and, and, and making decisions based on how the culture will receive it more than they have what God has said. How God will receive it. And friends, I just want to say, we can do better. The people of God must do better if we want to continue to see God's grace shed on our country. If we want to see God's grace come in such a way. The opposite approach 
is we can just do like they did in Germany. We could just start singing louder. We could just gather in here and, you know, when, when the culture is pressing in and things are, are, are going down the drain, we could just sing louder. But I, I think God has a call on the church, on each follower of Jesus. As our country continues down the pathway of multiculturalism and gender oppression and moral relativism and racism in so many ways, friends, the answer is not singing louder. It's not singing louder. Here's what I believe the answer is. According to God's word, the answer is for the church of Jesus and every member in it to bow lower. To submit ourselves to God. To pray and ask God to do what only God can do. Not a political party, not an economic engine, what only God himself can do. And we each individually have a huge part in that. And there are a lot of things that I could point to, but I just want to point to two today. Just want to point to two today. The first is this, that your country needs from you. My country needs me to pray passionately. To pray passionately. Now, I want to say something about what it means to pray passionately. Many of you are familiar that the last week of Jesus' earthly, earthly life is known as the Passion of the Christ. There was a movie made about it. That's called the Passion Week. It's not called the Passion Week because Jesus was worked up in a frenzy like we think of passion being. It's called the Passion Week because it meant suffering. It was his week of suffering. And so when I'm saying that we need to pray passionately, what I'm saying is we need to pray until it makes us suffer. And God's word, both the New Testament, Jesus' teaching on prayer, the apostles' writing on prayer, and the Old Testament clearly help us come to understand what it looks like to suffer in prayer, to groan under prayer. We've already seen this verse once today, but I want to take you back to it. It's from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and it says this, If my people who are called by my name will do this, humble themselves, if you will bow lower, if you will humble yourself and pray and seek my face. I'm going to kind of rearrange those statements a little bit. But here's the deal. Humbling ourselves in the presence of anybody, God or any other human, is not something we do naturally. You will have to suffer to humble yourself. There will, there will be, if, you, if you're going to pray in suffering, you're going to have to start by humbling yourself. By saying, God, you were right about everything and everything I believe differently about I'm wrong in. You're going to have to humble yourself no matter what the world says. And you're also going to have to turn from your wicked ways. You're going to have to repent. And that's not, this is not the only place this shows up. When Jesus started his preaching ministry, one of the first statements that Jesus made is found in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. And it tells us that Jesus came saying, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' words. This is what we need to do. The time's now. Do it. Repent first, believe the good news. Jesus' half-brother, James, when he was writing about his brother's teaching, he said this, he said, get rid of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct and then submit to God and accept the word. See, what, what we try so often to do is we just want to try to nosy up to God's word, just nuzzle on it real good. We don't want to deal with sin in our lives. And God's word says, Jesus said it. His half-brother James writes about it. The Old Testament tells us you got to deal with wickedness in your own life. 
statisticians who study this tell us that there is a, an outbreak in our nation of addiction to pornography. And that the percentages in the church are not much different than in the culture. And friends, if we're going to be people who pray until it makes us suffer, we got to deal with our sin. And then we've got to be the kind of people that we talked about last week that when somebody gets real in dealing with their sin, we don't condemn them. We raise the hand and say, babe, I struggle too. I hurt too. This is not a place of condemnation. And we will see people set free. And it's not just a male problem. Statisticians tell us there's a growing problem among the female population. And in God's people, if we're going to see God answer our prayer, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to turn from our wickedness and we've got to seek the very face of God. We've got to ditch the way we've chosen to live. And we've got to go pray passionately. And we have to pray passionately. I'll tell you one of the great ways that I have suffered in prayer. I have suffered in prayer when I've had to pray for a politician who's in office who did not think the way I think. I'm just being honest. I, I have suffered in prayer when I have prayed as God's word instructs me. Look at what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said this. He said the first thing, this is the message translation. First thing I want you to do is pray. The very first thing you do is you pray. And then look at this. He says pray every way you know how. Pray for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well. Even if they're not in your political party of choice. We are called on by God to pray for them to rule well. I've begun a, a habit in the last three months um, of prayer walking. Not prayer walking just around our neighborhood or around our church, but prayer walking because of Google. How many of you have ever gone to Google Street View in a city? And you can do the 360 and look around. Um, our North American Mission Board has identified strategic cities in which we need to plant the gospel. It's areas of extreme lostness. And so we are strategically part of a movement to plant gospel-centered, Christ-preaching churches. One of those cities is Boston. And one of those churches that uh, the North American Mission Board, and by virtue of that, our church is helping to plant when we send money to them, is a church that's known as um, Mosaic of Boston, JP. And JP stands for Jamaica Plain. And the pastor there is a young man named Ivy Rhodes. And Ivy is the grandson of uh, Clarence Brown. Um, uh, nephew of uh, Mary and Terry Watkins. And Ivy's there in Boston. And I, I've texted Ivy and said, Ivy, tell me where you gather for worship. And so Ivy gave me the, the address of where their, their church meets. And it meets in, in a, a school called Curly K-8. through That's the name of the school. Curly K-8. through and what I have done is I have gone into Google Maps and I have prayer walked that, that, that school. And I have prayer walked streets because you can literally walk down the streets on, and I realize it's not real time, don't get me wrong. But in those pictures, those images, I see things like tricycles. I can pray for the preschoolers that live in that house and the parents that are parenting to come to Christ. 
One street, Kingsboro, which is right across the street, right across Center Street, which is the main street the school's on, Kingsboro, down that street there were, uh, I don't remember, maybe 15, 20 houses, and about six of them had uh, signs out that say Black Lives Matter. And I was guessing that was going on when that was an issue. And so I realized this is a politically charged neighborhood. There's, there might be some tension there even. And so I prayed for that. And you can go on. You can pray in a way that causes you to think and be strategic. And somebody say, well, Joe, you're not really suffering doing that. I, I know, but you, I'm talking about putting forth some effort. To get in there and pray for our nation. And you can go all over our nation and do that. You can pray. If, if you have a home church somewhere, you can do that. You can go back and pray for them. If you need the name of a church planter who's been planted in a strategic city because you want to start Google prayer walking on their behalf, we'll get you a name. Because we want you to serve the Lord through prayer for, for our nation. And I'm hoping that, that you'll do that. Um, first of all, our country needs us to pray passionately. Second thing that our country needs us to do is lovingly lead. Loving we lead. According to God's word and according to Jesus himself, love needs to be the greatest distinctive characteristic that causes a Christian to stand out in culture. It needs to be love, needs to be our identifying mark. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, we know it is the great commandment. He said, two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Lead lovingly. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're a business executive, whether you coach a ball team, whether you're a teacher in a classroom, whether you're a volunteer coordinator, whether you're a parent, whether you're one of those things or all of those things, the truth is you're a leader. Everybody who is drawing breath has the capacity to influence. God gave you that. And that means you're a leader. You have leadership capacity in you. And I want to tell you whether you have an ounce or a ton, your leadership capacity matters to God because he planted it there. And it matters for the sake of our nation. Your influence matters. And I want to just speak into this leadership issue for just a moment because this is an area where there's great confusion, I think. Great confusion. John Maxwell, who will be a speaker, we're going to talk to you in a minute about something called the Global, Global Leadership Summit. He'll be a speaker at the summit this year. Uh, John Maxwell, who's kind of a leadership, Christ-centered leader guru, talks about that the lowest form of leadership, the least productive form of leadership is known as positional leadership. Positional leadership. Positional leadership is, is when the only way that you have any authority over anybody is because you either have a position or you think you have a position. And out of that, you try to get people to cooperate with you through compelling them. You think they owe you something, you know. You try to use leverage and positional leadership works in some instances because people think, you know, they write my check. I got to do what they say. John Maxwell says that's bottom feeder leadership. That if you are operating from any sense of position, that, that somebody owes you something as a leader, that you're a bottom feeder when it comes to leadership. He says the better way of leadership 
is something called relational leadership. Now Jesus spoke to the church about bottom feeder leadership. This is what he said in, John, in Mark 10. He says, you know that rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it, it will be different. If you want to lead, if you want to be a leader, you must be servant. If you want people to see you as a leader, you've got to be their servant. People who stay stuck in this bottom feeder leadership will never have any capacity to lead in the kingdom of God. They'll, they'll never have any sustainable leadership influence. Because of this, they'll never be able to work with people who volunteer. In the church, I don't know if you've ever heard the church of Jesus referred to as herding cats. But it is sometimes. It just is. Because especially in environments where leadership is tried to be positional instead of relational. Jesus was the greatest relational leader of all times. And people flocked to follow Jesus because of his love. Because of his servant heart towards them. Now to grow in leadership, you got to grow in people. You got to grow in love. Not thinking that somebody owes you something, but just grow in love. You know, too often we have a position or a perceived position and Satan uses that to erode our souls into thinking that we're something when we're not. See, when you love people, when you treat people with value, all people, you begin to develop influence in their lives. They begin to respect you. Trust grows. That's a path of love, folks. And that's the path that Jesus operated on. See, an environment, whether it's a home or a place of work, a place where you volunteer, everything moves better. When we lead from a position of love through relationship. Jesus changed the world leading that way. And so we've got to lovingly lead in our places of work. And lovingly lead in our community. And lovingly lead with our family. Lovingly lead wherever we are. And part of the role of the church is to equip you to do that. And one of the ways we do that is through something that we're hosting this August that is one of the greatest, I think, two-day leadership events that I've ever been to. And I want you to watch this video, and then I'm going to invite some people on stage to, uh, to talk about it with me a little bit. Go ahead and run that if you would. The Summit is a two-day, world-class experience for serious-minded leaders who want to get better. It is intellectually rigorous, it is creatively inspiring, and the Summit is unapologetically Christ-centered. Every year, WCA carefully curates a faculty of top leadership experts across a variety of sectors. Church, business, nonprofit, academic, and government. Because we believe that leaders can learn from anyone. The Summit is an unprecedented global movement of Christian leaders making lasting change in the world. In the decades to come, it will become even more critical that the local church is working right. The church is still God's plan to redeem and restore our broken world. And it all starts when God transforms a leader. 
I've invited these two guys to the stage. Uh, one, because they're kind of leading, at the tip of the spear, leading uh, the summit coming to our church. The other is because they've both personally experienced life uh, as summit attenders. And I've asked both of them to just share for a moment what it's meant to them personally and how, what are maybe some big takeaways that you've you know, been able to take back where you live, work, and play um, from the Leadership Summit that uh, you would encourage people to, to see, you know, from your own life perspective. Robert, I'm going to let you go first if you don't mind. Great. Um, every year as an architect, uh, I have to have continued education. Uh, this year, Kim and I just came back from New York City, and we have 16,000 architects there, and most of the classes we took dealt with technical things. Um, very little, little business skills, leadership skills. Uh, something the global leadership offers, which to me is excellent, is that it deals with leadership skills. Um, over the course of two days at roughly 600 locations across the country, there's going to be roughly 160,000 people learning and getting educated in leadership skills. As a business owner, uh, this gives me some wonderful opportunities because God recently has given me the privilege of having four brand new architects out of college, young architects. And so it, uh, it gives me the opportunity of closing my office for a day, uh, two days actually, and bringing them here where they can also gain leadership skills, um, but they get really, really strong business principles that are Christian-based. And I think um, as we see movements across South Carolina, whether it's the Global Leadership Summit or the Christian Chamber, or Christ in the Workplace, or Christian Leadership Foundation, we're recognizing that business is a great opportunity to teach people wonderful leadership skills with strong Christian principles, mm -hmm. and we accept this completely. Okay. Guy, how, how have you been personally impacted What, what I love about um, the Leadership Summit is as you go about your jobs, your daily uh, routines, everybody has influence. You have somebody that you know. Um, and when you go through this couple days, it talks about how do we steward that influence, not how do we lord it over them, but how do we steward our, our abilities that God's given us. And the more I learn and study about leadership, the more I learn and know that there's so many different ways to do it. And a leader can learn, an uh, influencer can learn from so many different people and they go, you know what, that might work. That might not work. So. Last year, they had a variety of people. They had people from the government. They had people from um, Christianity. They had church leaders. All these different leaders, they talked about how to hire HR. They talked about taking time off and learning and reflecting on what you just learned. They had all these different aspects where I think everybody that goes can get something out of it. Um, to learn, to learn just from these people that are that are successful in their fields, it's just it's very it's very humbling to know that this is an incredible opportunity that you get to learn to st how to steward your influence better. Now tell tell us about the details, just just so we know. August ninth, August ninth and tenth, Thursday okay. and Friday. Um, it's a full day. It's from nine till four. The great thing about this summit, the summit um, this year and last year was we're having it here. So right now, if you sign up, there's a bullet, there's a bulletin insert. You can also um, go online and put, uh, you can register that way, but the bulletin insert has a special code that you have to have to get about $90 off. Because they're special people. Because they're special people. Right. Each and every one of you, especially in the blue shirts, the light blue shirts, special. 
So anyway, I think, you, I think everybody can get, so let me also throw this out there. I know there's a lot of people who go, well, I really don't know. I really don't have $119 extra to spend for two days. I got that. If you want to help, we also need volunteers. So here's how volunteer works. We need people to help with hospitality, welcome, um, setting up, tearing down, all sorts of different aspects. Contact myself or Robert, let us know. And what you can do is as you go through the summit, as you help out, when you're not needed in an area that you're working on, you can come and watch and glean the information from the summit. Yeah. So we need, we need you to come and enjoy the two days and learn and take away. We also need people to volunteer that says, I want to do it, I see the value, um, and I want to help. If you have questions, I don't have answers. I'll have to ask them. So just ask them to start with is, is the best way to go about it. Guys, thank you so very, very much. I do appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. The first service didn't clap for you. You all must have done better the second time. I want to start kind of bringing things to a close by, with kind of these closing thoughts. Stewarding our influence in these chaotic times will also mean at times we will have to take a stand. We'll have to stand against current cultural shifts and current cultural wisdom. The apostles faced this in Jesus' day and, uh, you know, they got brought drug into the high priest. And in Acts chapter 5, we see the apostles saying, would you think that we're going to obey men or God? And they said, we're going to obey God. Now, truthfully, I'll be the first to tell you, I grow weary of being labeled a hater or a phobic. You know, because I believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is between one, wan, one woman and one man, because I believe that same-sex attraction is not of God, I get labeled a hater because I, I, I will proclaim that. I get later labeled a, a homophobic. It's fascinating to me that I've never been labeled an adulteryophobic. I've never been labeled, you know, uh, 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 no sex before marriage phobic. And I believe those things. I believe the same Bible teaches those things. But there's something else going on here that Satan is doing. And we need to be aware of it and stand against it. Stand on the truth, but do it in a spirit of gentleness to lead that way lovingly. Because the same Bible that tells me to take a stand... To take a stand against abortion. You know the Bible in Proverbs still says that you and I are to rescue those who are being taken away to death. We're to take a stand on these things. But the same Bible that tells us that also tells us that we need to do it in a spirit of gentleness. That's how we correct. We don't do it angry. We do it in a spirit of gentleness. Now in our nation change is happening so rapidly that it's hard to keep up with. And so that's why we have to stay deeper in this book than we ever have before. Because things are changing so rapidly and we need to be able to recognize truth. You don't have to recognize counterfeit. You just have to recognize truth. And so we have to press in like we've never pressed in before to, to the truths of God. Because here's the deal. I'm certain of this, that the restoration of this nation will only come from people who have experienced transformation. 
That's where restoration in our nation comes from, is people who have been transformed by the, the mighty hand of God, by the word of God. And so as, as a church, as believers, we've got to press into those. You know, our democratic system of government's not going to fix this. It's not going to, to save us. There was a day in the life of the nation of Israel where chaos was reigning kind of like it is here. And, and David went to God and, and prayed this prayer in Psalm 80. He said, Here is shepherd of Israel. You who led Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim. He said, Shine forth. Shine forth throughout the states of this nation. And then he said, Awaken your might and save us. If America is going to be saved, it's going to be by God alone. We as his people have been called on to play a part in that. One of those roles is that we would be people who pray passionately. And the other is that we would lead lovingly. See, our future doesn't depend on what the culture does and what the world does. The future of this country rests on what the people of God do. And so, friends, your country needs you. Pray passionately. Pray. You'll know you're praying passionately if it hurts, if you're suffering in it. And lead lovingly. Not from positions of authority or thinking somebody owes you something. Pray from a heart that suffers. Lead until it costs you something. Here's how I want to close our service today. I want us to get in little prayer pods. And a prayer pod is just a group of people getting in a little gang and, and just taking some time to pray. And I want you to pray for a nation. And I want you to pray for a nation. You can do this as families. You can do this as friends. You, just however. But just get in little prayer pods. And I want you to just pray for our nation. Just call on God. Just one person can lead the voice there in, the, in your prayer pod. But just all over the, the, this room, I just want us to take some time in this moment to close our service to pray for our nation. Asking for God's grace to be shed on it. Asking for his prov pro provision and protection. And asking God to turn the hearts of his people back to him. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I come as the under-shepherd of this flock. Jesus, believing and trusting and praying that you are our great shepherd. And I come with my brothers and sisters bringing our prayers to you, asking you to hear our prayers, O oh God. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to have your way in our hearts. I'm inviting you as best I can as pastor here, God. Search our hearts. Point out e any evil way in us, God, as a church or as individuals. Because we want to repent. We want to repent and believe. We want to repent and seek your face. We want to repent and be on mission with you to lovingly lead in our nation. So we choose to humble ourselves, God. If you point out sin, we'll turn from it. We'll confess it to one another, God. We'll raise the hand with our brothers and sisters and say, I'm a sinner too. Saved by grace, but I'm a sinner too. We want to be those people, God, on mission with you in this country because, God, we know 
you have shed your grace shed your grace on us but God we're asking for even more grace and we don't want to treat your grace in vain we don't want to waste it God we want to live in it in such a way that we glorify you that the grace you give us would only glorify you God not us and so we close our service prayerfully and in worship we worship you now God through giving our tithes and your tithes and our offerings to further your kingdom God to plant churches and strategic cities in this nation and around the world we come giving so that the gospel can go forth and we come now God to worship you with our hearts and our minds and our voices because of our great love for you God we pray bless America it's in your name we ask this and all God's people said amen thanks for listening if you're in North Charleston this Sunday please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services we'd love to see you Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.